In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, Jesus asks an important question. This is what he says. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What the disciples do is they give a number of the commonly held beliefs, what people think of Jesus. And this prompts Jesus to ask the much more important question. But who do you say that I am? See, that is the question the question that everyone needs to, the question that everyone has to answer. Because everything about this question is now more personal. No longer is it about what do the people say, but what do you say? No longer is it about the Son of Man, but the personal pronoun I. What do you believe about Jesus? It is not an overstatement to say that all of eternity hangs on that question. Because it's not about what everyone else thinks that matters. It's not about what your parents think. It's not about what your grandparents think. It's not about what your spouse thinks. It's about what you specifically and personally believe about Jesus. Who do you say that I am? And so Peter the always bold one, answers him. Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter gives a bold, a strong, and a very convicted answer. So let's listen to Jesus' response. Verse 17, Jesus answers him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now the most important issue in this text is the question, who do you say that I am? Because all of us individually have to have an answer for that one. But the second most important thing about this text has everything to do with ecclesiology or, in more simple terms, the church. And that second issue revolves around what Jesus means when he says, on this rock, I will build my church. Why? Because it's crucial for us and how we interpret this passage will tell us what do we do about the church And how do we act in the church? And how does the church survive and exist? For example, the Roman Catholic tradition from which I grew up would argue that Jesus is saying that Peter is the rock and that the church would be built upon him. This serves at least foundationally as part of their argument for Peter being the first pope. The church would be built on him and then the next guy, and then the next guy, and the next guy. And it's an interesting concept. But by the way, the grammar of the sentence doesn't allow for, we can have that conversation on a different day. 
But more problematically, what it does is it places at the foundation of the church a fallen human. A person who will let you down. A person who will fall short. A person who will sin. And history would show that this doctrine has not been kind to the Catholic Church, for they had plenty of years where that proved to be true. And while this is, while the Catholic Church believes this formally, we should also recognize that there are plenty of Protestant churches all over the world who fully practice it, though they would deny it, by building churches on the backs of people. What I want to assert to you is that a church built with men as its foundation will never prevail. That building a church on people is like building on a foundation of sand. And what Jesus is doing in this text is not pointing to Peter. Rather, he's pointing to himself. That Jesus is the Christ. That he is the son of the living God. That he is the anointed one. That he is the Messiah. And when we see it that way, we start to see and understand that the unshakable foundation of the church is not its people. It's Jesus Christ. So when God's people let us down, we are not to be shaken. For it is Jesus that is the foundation of the church. By the way, Peter will testify to this in Acts chapter 4. Acts 4.11. As Peter speaking before the Sanhedrin, Peter saying, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Interestingly enough, if Peter would have understood himself as the rock the church was built on, he wouldn't have said this. He, he, he recognized that the church had to be built on Jesus. Jesus had to be the foundation. Peter was clear about that. And for good measure, Paul testifies to the same in 1 Corinthians 3. When Paul writes, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is... Jesus Christ. There are many other passages that I could cite, many other passages I could point us to, for the New Testament is ripe with illustrations of Jesus being the rock, Jesus being the stone, Jesus being the cornerstone, Jesus being the foundation. You could pick up any other number of similar synonyms. They all point to Jesus. So why are we talking about that this morning? Because if you live in the Fargo-Moorhead area, if you've watched our news, if you've read our newspaper, or at all involved in social media, you read about what happened in River City Church this week. You saw that the church took a hit, and that it absolutely impacts people's confidence in what they think about the church, and what they believe about the church, what they believe about pastors, what they believe about any of it. So we got to address that, don't we? We need to discuss that. Because when you build a church on people, it will always crumble. And when you build a church on Jesus Christ, it will always stand firm. It will always stand firm, even if the people fall, even if the pastor falls, even if the pastor's family falls, regardless of the cause. Now, it will always most certainly cause a spiritual storm within us. Why did this happen? 
How can this happen? How could this happen amongst God's people? How could this happen in a pastor's family? And the winds will pick up and the waves will crash and Satan will have an absolute field day. But can I take a moment to encourage you with Matthew 16, 18? Jesus speaking. I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is built on Jesus. Jesus builds his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Satan shall not win even a moment. And I know that there are many in this room that have been personally impacted by the stories that are coming out. And I know that it's causing a storm. And so in the midst of a series called My Anchor Holds, talking about storms, walking through Psalms, it seemed fitting this morning that we should land in Psalm 62. So turn there with me this morning. Psalm 62, to the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. Again, a reminder that these prescripts are part of the original text. They remind us that they're songs that they were sung. Jeduthun was a worship leader in the Old Testament, reminding us that David is the, the author of this psalm. Verse 1. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Friends, what David, who went through so many things in life, right? Starts off as a small boy, very much an underdog, ends up becoming the king, ends up fleeing, ends up running. David experienced so many things in life, and if anyone could testify to this in Scripture, I think David could. David testifies here that if you really, if you build your life on anything else, it will crumble. He testifies, God, you alone are my rock and my salvation. You're my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. I am in you. That's his testimony here in Psalm 62, that God, for you alone, my soul waits in silence. I am quiet before you. I'm, I'm finding a peace in you. Friends, I've watched people try to build their life on sports only to get hurt. I tried that once. I've watched people try to build their life on a career only to find themselves sorted out in a different direction. I tried that once too. I've watched people try to build their life on relationships, even on their marriage, but you know what? People sin, they disappoint, they fail. People are a terrible foundation. I think I'd been engaged to Pam for about a week when one night, we were together. We are probably in a bookstore because it was a free date. And I was cheap and poor at that point in life. And she had a very concerned look on her face. And after a bit, she finally said to me, how do I know that you'll never cheat on me? Now, it's a fair question. 
And I think it's a question that everyone at least needs to consider at some point or another. And for us, it was a is an important question because we both had some fairly significant spiritual mentors in our lives who had had affairs, who'd ended up divorced and ruined their families. It's a fair question. So I looked her deeply in the eyes and I gave her the most honest answer I could. You don't. You don't know that I won't. I can't know that. And it's still the answer I'd have to give her today that I'm not that trustworthy. That's a fair answer. See, one of the things that happens when stories like what's going through our news right now is one of two things happens. We get this reaction that says, I'd never do that. Can I just tell you how idiotic that is? When we start to believe that we are not prone to fall to sin, we set ourselves up to fail. Sin is just a set of deceptions. It's 10,000 decisions leading down a path. You make a poor one and you start to get deceived and you make a poor one and you start to get deceived and you make a poor one and you start to get deceived and you make a poor one and you start to get deceived. And all of a sudden you're miles away from where you've wanted to be. Nobody wakes up in the morning, was the old commercial, nobody wakes up as a child and says, when I grow up I want to be a drug addict. It's a, it's a long path of deception from Satan that we are all absolutely prone to fall into, which is why when I looked my sweet fiance in the eyes, I had to tell her the only one she could ever trust was Jesus Christ. That's it. He is the only firm foundation. Friends, even churches and church leaders crumble apart. He alone is my rock. And my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. Worth pointing out, it leaves some room for shaken. You're allowed to be shaken, but your foundation will hold. Listen to what David claims here, because what he is claiming is that he is grounded in God alone, that because God is his fortress, when life happens, when things break, when people fail, and they will, he's set up for that. His foundation will hold, his foundation is firm, verse 3. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall or a tottering fence? David proclaims his confidence is in the Lord and the surety of his foundation even in the midst of the storm. And one of the funniest things about verse 3, the longer you dig into it, the more you recognize sarcasm. David is actually mocking his enemies. Are you thinking... What do you think, I'm flimsy? You think I'm going to fall apart? I came so close to showing you clips of Hans and Franz calling people girly men. What are you, some flimsy guy? Because that's exactly what David is saying here, that his confidence is his foundation is so sure that he's mocking those that would attack him. Saying, what do you, you think I'm just a leaning wall that's going to fall over? Do you think I'm a tottering fence? Verse 4. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse Salah 
These verses 3 and 4 give us the context for this psalm. They present the storm from which David is riding, the storm to which David asserts his anchor, the storm to which David speaks from. That he has false people in his life who are setting out to destroy him. And that if his title as king was his foundation, or if his armies were his foundation, or if his way of life was his foundation, or if his throne was his foundation, he would have already crumbled, for they've already taken all of these things from him. And David repeats his commitment, verses 5 and 6. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my, he only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. It's the same as one and two. He changes a couple words. Now it is his hope that is at stake. And now he is not even shaken. Friends, God is the only thing in the entire universe that is faithful. And the only foundation is. That will hold. Verse 7. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. Law. David is all in on God as his foundation. He's all in on God being his salvation. He's all in on God being his glory. He's all in on God being his refuge. So, he exhorts you. From a place where he's found his foundation to be secure, he exhorts you. From a place where he has found stability in the midst of his storms, he exhorts you. Trust in him at all times. David knows what he's asking you. He's telling you he'll be secure, he'll be trustworthy, he'll be good to you. When the waves are high, when the, when the storms are coming in, he'll be trustworthy. When, it's, when the sun is high in the sky and there's not a cloud, he'll be trustworthy on any and every day. David says, trust in him at all times, O people. He takes his experience of God's faithfulness, of God's steadiness, and exhorts you. To find it. To put your hope in God alone. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And then in these last couple of verses, David puts out some principles that spring from his previous verses. Principles that basically get to the foolishness of trusting men, starting in verse 9. Those of lowest state are but a breath. Those of highest state are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. 
David says, don't trust rich people. Don't trust poor people. He's, he's putting before you the opposite of finding a foundation that's secure in God. He's saying, man, finding your foundation in people is pointless. Put no trust in extortion, verse 10. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Don't put your confidence even in your resources is what he's putting you to, whether you get them from a valid means or not, whether you have to turn to extortion or robbery, whatever means you have to provide for yourself, don't make that your hope. Don't make that the thing you set your heart on, for that is not a stable foundation. Verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. David works through in these first six verses that God is the only foundation worth going to. In the next couple verses, he gives some principles, and he ends here by contrasting God for man, saying that God is strong, God is powerful, and that God is loving. He again exhorts you into the character of God for your foundation. Friends, we've been walking for about 12 weeks in this series called My Anchor Holds, talking about the various storms that show up in our lives, be they personal or health or employment. There are so many different things that could come up. And it never even occurred to me when putting together this series that we could even see a church teeter in a week. And by the way, I don't think the church is going to crumble. I don't think that church is going to crumble either. But I do know that it has an impact on people. And so as we walk through this series, My Anchor Holds, even when these kinds of things go on, we are to be exhorted to put our hope in Christ alone, to keep Christ alone as our foundation And to keep Christ alone as our anchor. For he is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. It's the Hebrew 6 passage that we've brought every week before you. To be reminded of. That in any and every situation we find ourselves in, Christ is our hope. Practically, Paul testifies to this in Philippians 4. This is what Paul writes in Philippians 4. This is where we're going to end this morning. Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 11, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Think about that for a second. Paul says 
I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul learned out, learned how to be content in everything. Now we need to think that one through. Because we can read it and we can gloss over it without considering all the many things that could have gone on in Paul's life. We could gloss over the fact that Paul was a single guy. I don't know if he was content in singleness or not. We could gloss over the fact that Paul was well under his way to being a high-class established Jew in the city of Jerusalem before Jesus met him on his, and knocked him off a donkey. Likely that cost Paul his family, his parents. He likely would have been thrown out. I don't know if Paul learned to be content with that. Clearly he did. He goes on, by the way, in 2 Corinthians 11 to tell us that he'd been in prison, he'd been flogged, he'd been beaten to the point of death again and again. He'd been stoned, he'd been shipwrecked, he'd spent a day and a night in the open sea. He lived in constant danger. I mean, there is all that which we can gloss over. But consider for a moment the secret of being content in all those situations. I don't think Paul's lying. I mean, I've never spent a day and a night in the open sea. I don't want to. Verse 12. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul points out to us, in any and every circumstance which categorically must include everything we'll deal with. I've learned the secret. Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now for the life of Pete, don't ever say that. That means you can pick up a bus. Please keep this off your Facebook and like doesn't, Paul is talking about, in Philippians 4.13, his ability to endure anything because of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ, in him, through him, his foundation in Christ, his hope in Christ, his anchor in Christ, he can walk through anything content. He can walk through anything being strengthened by Jesus. That means in prison, Jesus is with me. He could walk through anything. This is why in Galatians, he says, you know, if I die, good, Jesus. If I live, good, Jesus. Doesn't matter, Jesus. He had so thoroughly found himself foundationally in in Christ and anchored to Christ, he could endure anything. One of the great challenges for us as Americans is that we so thoroughly avoid any kind of trial that we actually teach ourselves to not deal with them well. You get a headache, just take two Tylenol. It'll be gone in like 10 minutes. You get sick, take some medicine, it goes away. I mean, like we have instant fixes for everything. So then when we endure something that there's not an instant fix to, we're like, what am I going to do? 
Paul says, I've learned the secret to being content. He didn't say take two Tylenol. And I'm not telling you not to take Tylenol when you get a headache. Friends, there are so many difficulties and challenges and trials and storms we will face in this life. And the secret to all of them is to believe in Jesus Christ, to put your hope in him, to make Christ your foundation, to make Christ your anchor, the thing you hold on to. For he's the only thing that will hold. Let me pray for us. Father, I know that as we gather together this morning, that there are folks here who are struggling uh, with their understanding of the church. I know there are people who are struggling in relationships. I know that there are people who are just hurting uh, because of the events of the week, because of the events of the year. And they're shaken. Father, I pray that you would comfort them because you're strong. Pray that you comfort them because you're loving. And I pray that their feet would land firm on you. And not on a person, and not on a place, and not on a thing, and not on an idea, but on you. For in Jesus, we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. He has gone before us into the great throne room of our Father and has anchored us. And we're secure. Would you encourage us? Would you just remind us that not even Satan will prevail against your church? Father, that you have a plan and that you'll carry it out. And that your ministry, your mission will go forward. Allow us just to keep our hope in you and in you alone. And Father, in those seasons when it's revealed to us that our hope is in other things, would you just make that a gentle reminder and push us gently back to your son? It's in his name we pray. Amen.